Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Fathers, in Jesus' name, that we thank you for the saints of God that have lived a few years. We thank you for a well-lived life of John Wesley Mumford. And I think it's fitting that his passing preceded Senior Sunday. And I pray that uh, our seniors will realize that it ain't over until it's over. And until then, you can be in service to God. Thank you for your word and your spirit that I don't have to stand up here and rely on myself or my study, but can totally rely on your spirit that can transform any thoughts that I've had that were motivated from my own flesh to spiritual word. And I do thank you, sir. In Jesus' name, amen. The topic, following your passion, falls in line with uh, our theme for this month, the passion to lead. That's a Greek word that is translated passion, which in the King James is translated lust. It's epidamia, which has several applications, all having to do with a strong desire or craving. But in the context of this passage, it has to do with a longing appetite, especially for that which is forbidden. In other words, it's something that you want, but you know it's wrong to want it. Yet you want it anyhow. For Christians and non-Christian alike, there are certain passions inside of each of us that is destined to destroy us. Often enhanced with demonic influence, they try to lure us away from anything and everything of God. It pictures a, a, an animal who's fallen as sin. Have you noticed how much roadkill you may see on the highway? You see, these animals are falling as sin, maybe of a prey, maybe of a potential mate, and they have become tunnel vision. And the thing that they normally would be aware of they are no longer aware of because they are following their passion. And this passion ends up in death. 
It's amazing to me that more animals are killed by vehicles during mating season than any other time. The essence of leadership is influencing to lead. It's, it's influence that leads to following. It's not only restricted to an individual. You know, a lot of times we follow people, and it's easy. But it also includes fads, trends, and ideology. I was sharing with my wife, we, we, we really talk about fads and how people are getting into things that the only reason they're into it is because everybody else is into it. As a young man in the Air Force, one of the things that I swore I wasn't going to do as the fashion trend began to evolve was to wear platform shoes or have an afro. And even though in the military where there was restrictions, I did them both. Why? Because it was a fad. It was a trend. Looking at some of the fashions that people wear, senior saints, you're following a fad, but you can't wear that no more. Your body has changed, and it don't fit the fashion. It don't fit the hairstyles. I'm aware of the old men who have the ponytail and the earrings and all the things these young folks wear trying to chase what you couldn't do nothing with if you called it. It's all because you're following your passion. See, leadership is whatever you're passionate about. And this is true that everyone, all of us, we are following our passion. Question is, what's your passion? See, some of y'all this morning should have been here at Faith Development, but you were following the passion of laziness or the passion of food, just had to have that cup of coffee, or you thought that just because you had a certain age, you didn't have to show up, but you call it Senior Sunday. Even some of my young people who should have been here at Faith Development but because their teacher wasn't teaching, they followed the passion of I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. In our first reference text, Paul is speaking primarily to Jewish believers. But this can be applied to everyone before conversion, before the Holy Spirit had this transforming power in your life. These things came to faith through Paul, I believe, on his first missionary journey. But because of opposition and fear for his life, Paul had to leave. 
And he didn't get a chance to sit down and talk to them about the principles of the Christian faith. I want to stop right there because I think sometimes the church does an injustice when we lead people to faith. We don't really tell them what's required of them to walk in their faith. So there's two reasons that we're going to look at about following your passion, the wrong one. The first is ignorance. These people that Paul is writing to, they were ignorant of the requirement to live the Christian life. Consequently, they were still following the passion of their flesh. So Paul writes to address the old life compared to the new life. You see, becoming a Christian means by virtue of what the Bible says, a change. There has to be a change. Want you to look at with me as we break this verse down. Paul identifies five pre-salvation status. In other words, this is the way we were before the Holy Spirit changed our life. Before the transformation power of the Holy Spirit, they were dead. Verse 1 of Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It implied that they were lifeless, immobile, and decaying. The last time I saw a dead body, it didn't move. And if you let it stay that long enough, it's going to stink. Care how good the mortician is, it's how you dress it up, it's going to end up being dust. But in notice it said the source of this condition was their sin nature. Because of their sin nature, they were dead. The second thing, before the transformation of the Holy Spirit, they were demonic control. I want to stay there a minute because I think a lot of people don't realize you can't do what you want to do because you are being controlled by the devil and you think it's you. Look at what verse 2 says. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now work at in the signs of disobedience, the devil had blind and deceived them into believing that what they were doing was okay. How did they do this? They did this by perverting grace. And let me tell you what that means. It means that God has said through his word that we are saved by grace and grace alone, not of works. And we recognize that sin can't take you out of God's hand. But he's put a spirit in you that caused you to confess your fault. But perversion of grace was letting people to believe what you're doing is okay. It's all right. God loves you and God's going to automatically forgive you anyway. You don't have to change. In fact, it's saying you can't change. Hold that thought. Because before the transformation of the Holy Spirit, they were also carnal. Verse 3 says, among whom we once walked in the passion of our flesh. 
They were concerned only with gratification of the flesh and desire and its appetite. Now get this. This included an abandonment of every natural desire. I don't think you understand. It is natural for a man to be attracted to a woman. It is natural for a woman to be attracted to a man. Now we may go past what the Bible says, but it's still natural for me to be attracted to a member of the opposite sex. But by perversion of grace, it was saying that your attraction is okay. Nobody can tell you who to love. And put it this way. Nobody can tell you who to make love to. Or when to do it. Or how to do it. In other words, you don't need marriage. You don't need to have upset. Whatever you want to do, you do it. So they were dead, demonic control, and they were also calm. But also before the transmission transformation power of the Holy Spirit, they were corrupt. Verse 3 goes on to say, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been so upset with somebody you thought about just beating them up? Blowing them away? Slipping something in their drink so they wouldn't wake up the next day? Somebody ever done something to you that made you think that you didn't care if they was alive or not? See, you have desires in you to tell you to do wrong. But you don't care them out. I don't think. <laughs> if you didn't do it, you thought about it. So, so what we're saying here, they were consumed with fulfilling, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Folks, this is vengeance. I can't stand them. If I ever get a chance, I am going to get them back. I'm going to do this. And you start to plot about how you're going to do it. Just totally corrupt. In this state of mind, you are insensitive to the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit works upon you even if you're not saved through what we call conscience. But when you get to the point that you ain't got no conscience, you don't care what you say, when you say it, or who you say it to. Did anyone wonder that you got these kids now in school that are cursed to teach you out and dare them to do anything? If you say anything, I'm going to call my mama and she's going to come up here and do the same thing. We need to pray for our teachers. Not only were they dead, the mighty control, calling and corrupt. Before the transformation power of the Holy Spirit, they were also condemned. He goes on to say, and were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Their sinful nature resulted in them becoming objects of the wrath of God. I was really taken when I did my study on this word wrath. It's not what I expected. 
I expected to find the Greek word thumos. Instead, I found the Greek word arge. Arge means fury. It's not the usual word that's used in context with God, who thermos has to do with righteous indignation. Arge is violent passion. It's the height of one's emotion who is dissatisfied with something or someone. In other words, it's when somebody is hot with anger. Some of y'all that got what y'all call a temper can relate to this. God was ticked off. He was highly upset. But, but the question is, why would God be so upset? Because before the transformation of the Holy Spirit, these people were following the passion of their flesh, flesh and they were not passionate about him. I want y'all to, to hold that for a minute. I, I, I need to go to our second source. I want to press pause right here. Remember I said the first reason for following your passion is ignorance. But in our second scripture, Peter's writing to Jewish believers who are experiencing severe hardship. So the second thing that causes us to follow our passion is trials and tribulation, hardship. Peter's writing to people that are going through some things because they're Christian. And the trials that they were going through led many of them to say, I'm giving up. I'm quitting this Christian thing. And they had help. The critics were telling them, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want it. See, it ain't worth living like a Christian if that's what you're going through. And then they say this, you'll be better off if you wasn't saved. And people begin to say, wow, that makes a lot of sense. But I want you to follow with me now. Peter agrees with Paul concerning this passion of the flesh. Look with me at verse 11 in 1 Peter 2. And it says this. Beloved, I urge you, or in King James, I beg you as sojourners and exile or pilgrim to abstain from passion of the flesh which waged war against the soul. Peter had to remind these saints that are going through something, and I want to remind some of you that may be going through something, that in this world, you are a sojourner or pilgrim. And this fact should motivate your behavior. See, these people were sojourners in the fact that they were living in a foreign country, and they didn't have the rights as a citizen. They were pilgrims or exiles and said that they were obligated to live temporarily in a place which was not permanently their home. Now that might seem confusing, so let me see if I can break it down because, see, there's a problem. Uh, let me give you an example of my own experience. My sister used to go to Pat little one, y'all, that know her. She was the favorite of me and my family for the people that lived in Chicago. 
So every year she would be blessed with a ticket, catch the train to go from Atlanta to Chicago. Indiana was a state that I remember because I finally got the opportunity. My Aunt Alice sent me a ticket to go to Chicago. Man, I was so excited. I don't know how many of y'all rode a train, but I want you to think about it. The sights are nice to look at. You look out the window, you see all these things, they're just so good. But you don't get off the train at every stop. You don't set up residence to live there. Okay, okay, okay. Here's what I'm saying. I was on my way to Chicago, right? I'm in the train. Uh, had my little, I don't know if you remember that time, we couldn't afford to buy lunch, so they would make us some fried chicken and put it in a bag, and we we going up there. You know what I'm talking about? And as I was going through Indiana, I saw all this corn. I saw some of these lakes. Man, it was so beautiful. And I was just captivated by what I was seeing. But I never once thought about getting off that train and staying in Indiana. My destination was Chicago. See, we got a problem. A lot of us get so captivated by the things that we go through in this life, we want to get off the train and set up residence right where we are. That's why we get obsessed with things like 401ks and for other things like that. We are so captivated by staying here. The question is, do you really believe that you got a destination to go to? Let me give you another example. Maybe some of y'all can understand this and y'all don't seem to have got that. How many of y'all ever drove in a distant on the interstate? And if you ever drive through Ohio, uh, I know Jones can recognize this, they have some of the best rest stops you ever want to see. I mean, you pull in there, they got full-fledged restaurants. They ain't got the little thing like we got in Georgia. They got big old restaurants. They got things you can say, I mean, real good stuff. But if you go into Cleveland, you ain't going to stop in some town in Ohio. But some of us get so captivated by the hamburger in McDonald's that we forget that we're supposed to be going to Cleveland. Now when Peter writes about abstaining from fleshly lust, Oftentimes, we immediately think of sexual sin, but the application is more than that. It refers to any strong passion that is inconsistent with the will of God. Because Peter said all these things wage war against your spiritual well-being. They hinder communication with God and they deter your spiritual growth. So, question again, what's your passion? As we said in faith development this morning, what, what are you so looking forward to that you said, Pastor, they hurry up so I can get on out here. I got things to do. What's your passion? What is that one thing on the inside of you that drives you more than anything else? 
Let's go back and press start again back to Paul. Because really I'm challenging you to refocus your passion. Newsflash, you ain't going to live forever. What did Paul say? Paul said you were dead in your trespass and sin. That's prior to the transformation power of the Holy Spirit. But look what he says in verse 4 of Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Those two words, but God, indicate an amazing change has taken place. It's a change from the doom and despair of the valley of death to the mountain of unspeakable delight. And the author of this change is God himself. No one could do it and no one would have done it but him. And the reason for this is because of his great love. He sent his son Jesus to die a horrendous death in agony on Calvary. And the journey to the cross, to the garden of Gethsemane was not easy. So why did he do it? Because he had a passion to save you and me. And he followed his passion, which led him to die a sinner's death for us. And since he died for us, why can't we have a passion to live a Christ-like life for him? Play golf with Benita Friday. And we were talking about passion and how I used to be so passionate about fishing. Go out there at 6.30 in the afternoon and stay to 6.30 the next day. Mosquito bites, dirty and all that, catching them fish. But I had a passion for it. And enjoy every moment. Because of Joe Brothers, and I'm going to tell on you too, him and Gus Bosson got me into golf. Minister Bosson and Minister Brothers no longer play golf. <laughs> and I got my $3,000 worth of golf equipment and still ain't playing a good game of golf. But I had a passion to go out there for four hours because I had a passion for it. Now you gonna tell me if I can stay on the lake for 48 hours, stay on the golf course for eight hours, I'm gonna get upset about two hours in church What's your passion? How long can you watch television? If it's your favorite program. 
You thank God for DVRs so you can look at it over and over again. But she won't even take a free CD about the gospel message. Question, Pastor. It's really time for us to check ourselves. Now that's for you guys that have experienced the transformation power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you perhaps have not. Because your passion is where it should be. Of the flesh. But if you believe that there's life after death, then you're going to have a destination that you've got to go to. And your passion is going to lead you there. Will you stand with me? Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.